the Sermons Podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. I want to read half of one of the most familiar stories in Scripture. Luke 15. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could go celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. For many years I've been going to a specialist surgeon to get skin cancers removed. It started with a big one, a melanoma. A total surprise and I remember lying awake that night planning my funeral sorting out my will and wondering if I'd make it to Christmas. And that was 2002, and obviously I'm still here. Despite many lesions that have been removed since several this year and one last Monday. I suppose that makes me a lesionaire. (laughs) I've been blessed in the surgeon I see, someone highly respected, world-renowned in his field, And someone I've got to know through the many hours I've spent lying on the bed as he chops bits off me. His name is Jim, Jim the Knife. (laughs) He told me very early on that when he was young, he was sent to a church boarding school and that managed to cure him of all interest in Christianity. However, many times when chatting with him, he's asked, Have you preached the story of the prodigal son lately? Most of the times I've had to say no, but on one occasion I had preached on it the Sunday before. He asked me and I said, yes, would you like a copy? He didn't answer. But he still continues to ask. The last time I saw him, he asked again. But it had me thinking about this story Now it's easy enough to say that Jim might fit the picture of the prodigal son and talk about that. But instead it's turned my interest to the older brother, the not so prodigal son. People never ask me if I've preached about him lately, but I want to do that today. If we look at the story we find there are 14 verses about the prodigal son. But there are eight quite long verses about the older brother. It's over a third of the story. I skimmed through some of the gospel stories and uh, these eight verses are longer than many of the ones that we know well. 
The parable of the weeds and the wheat is longer than that. Longer than the parable of the mustard seed. There's a cluster of three stories about the kingdom. It's longer than that. Longer than the story of the widow's mite. So the story is there for a reason. You don't use up eight verses of the Gospels for no reason at all. And the reason's very clear. Jesus was contrasting the story of the gracious and forgiving father who ran to meet the prodigal son and the older brother who refused to join in the celebrations put on by the father. He was talking about the Jewish religious establishment of the day, and especially about its leaders, the, the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, as they're often described. But let's leave that for a moment and concentrate on the older brother. What did he do wrong? What's the problem? Why does this brother, who stays home, works hard and faithfully, doesn't go and waste his money, his father's money, why does he get such bad press? As the firstborn son, he was actually due twice the amount that the younger brother took. So he still had that waiting for him. Now the simplest response is, is this. He didn't love his brother. This so-called brother of his, this no good who skipped off for the third of his father's money, this immoral, free-spending, brothel-creeping brother with whom he used to play as a child. This brother is worthless. He's a waste of space. And in fact, in his opinion, he's not even a brother at all. Look at part of what he said. He says, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. As he unleashes on his father, he says, your son, not my brother. Not brother of mine, but son of yours. Not even a half-brother, but one who had lost the right even to that title. Not a lot of love there. I know parents sometimes disinherit their children, but he disinherited his brother. He also claims to know what his brother's been up to. Says he's squandered his money on prostitutes. Doesn't mention that in the first part, only riotous living. Maybe they're the same. So he knows a bit about where his brother's gone and what he's up to. But he doesn't go off on a mission to try and rescue him and bring him back. Echoes of Cain here. Am I my brother's keeper? And what's the standard for Jesus? Love your neighbor as yourself, even wider than brother. It includes brothers and sisters. Whenever we come across another person, they become our neighbor, and we're commanded by Jesus to love them. Some scary words from John's first letter. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So the older brother doesn't love his younger brother and treats him, in fact, as no brother at all. 
And secondly, he, he doesn't know really anything about his father. Perhaps he sees his father disappearing off down the drive, robes flapping, running with abandon, and sandals slapping on the stones of the courtyard. And he says, oh no, look at the old man. Look at him running like that. Where's his sense of dignity? What are the slaves going to think of him? I mean, he's the head of this company, this, this business. He's got to act like the head of it, not like that. What's he up to? He's nothing but an embarrassment. And it comes out in other ways when he hears of the feast for the brother who's been lost. And he says to his dad, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He sees his father as employer, not father. Slave driver, not head of the family business. He sees his father as mean and stingy, not generous and giving. He wouldn't even give him a baby goat to have a party with his friends. Probably not much more meat than a decent-sized chicken. He sees his father as demanding and legalistic, not merciful and loving towards all. He sees his work as an attempt to meet an almost impossible bar to achieve and not a wonderful privilege, an opportunity to be part of the greatest enterprise in all of history. He just doesn't understand the father at all. What does his father say? My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He calls him son, not employee or servant. He says the older son always has his presence and attention. He tells him he only has to ask and he will be given. And he says, your brother is still my son and we just have to celebrate. Which leads to the third thing wrong with the older brother. He doesn't know anything about joy. The rest are celebrating and he has a fit of the miseries. And he won't join in. He sees his work as slaving in the field. He thinks his father's only a killjoy. I came across these words about joy recently. Joy is when your heart picks up the vibrations of God and for a brief period of time beats in harmony when your love echoes God's love. So while there was joy up in the main house as they celebrated with the father, return of the lost son the older son went off to sulk in his room you remember doing that as a kid so no love for his brother no understanding of his father no joy in what the father was doing so back to the parable what's it about it's about the religious establishment in particular it's leadership I went through the four Gospels and I counted up the number of times when Jesus had some sort of encounter with the Jewish religious leadership. 
an argument, a confrontation, plotting against him, challenged by them, 133 times. That's a huge chunk of the Gospels, and we rarely talk about it. With this parable, it's way easier to talk about the prodigal son than about the older brother. Easier to focus on the love and mercy of the father and his forgiveness. But a third of the parable is aimed at these religious leaders. Why? Because they didn't love others who weren't like them. Those who didn't keep their standards, those who didn't play by the rules, those who slipped and fell on the way, those who just couldn't carry the immense burden of the law. Remember that story of the Pharisee and the sinner coming to pray, the sinner prostrate before God, pleading for forgiveness, and the Pharisee standing proud before God and saying, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this sinner. They didn't love others. Nor did the Jewish leaders really understand the Father. Jesus came to show the people what God the Father is like. He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. But they didn't get it. This loving and merciful and forgiving God, this God who sat down for dinner with publicans and sinners, was way outside of their spiritual data bank. And they were a pretty joyless lot, keeping their patch safe, paying attention to all their rules, keeping others out. It wasn't exactly a spiritual Disneyland amongst the Jewish religious leaders. Remember the words of Jesus? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. Kids playing weddings and funerals, having fun, amusing themselves. But the religious leaders found all this stuff beneath them and they just kept on fiddling with the law. No love, no understanding of the Father, no joy amongst the religious leaders that Jesus encountered. Yes, this story of the older Brother, sure lets the religious leaders have it, doesn't it? And they knew it. It says several times, it says of the parables, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. But you know what bothers me? These 133 times, there are these encounters between Jesus and the religious leaders. But we often treat them as though they have nothing to do with us. Now that's a fair chunk of the Gospels to assign to a paper shredder. Take a while to get it all through. But I believe it's as much for us today as it was for people then. Those days have gone, the temple is gone, all the machinery of sacrifice is gone. But we remain the body of Christ, the church. And it's just as easy today to get caught up in the same things that the Jewish leaders got caught up in. It happens when people in our churches 
Treat the church as more of a fortress than as a search and rescue headquarters. It happens when the religious establishment gets it wrong about God the Father. A fortress aims to keep people safe, builds a wall around it, digs a moat, puts a drawbridge over it, strong door to keep people out, very fussy about who they let in. It advertises you will find a warm welcome here. But when people come to an open home day, sometimes they find the language strange. People all nicely dressed and very polite and all much the same. And so sometimes those who come and into our fortresses maybe dressed differently, different backgrounds, don't know what all this stuff's about. Maybe they feel a bit uncomfortable. And one of the other things is there are dozens of these fortresses that we build or sometimes become as churches. And all of them got different sets of rules. And all of them think their sets of rules are the best. And sometimes they fight about these rules and in the past there's even been bloodshed over the rules. But a search and rescue headquarters, on the other hand, is a place where we come to plan, to learn, to train, to get supplies, sometimes to dress our wounds, get them patched up, and for God's people, a search and rescue headquarters is also a place we come to worship. Now, the mistake here would be to look around and say, well, which churches are these fortress churches? Which are these ones that are picked on by the parable that Jesus is really talking about today? I'm not going to talk about our church. I'm not going to talk about any particular church. I want to talk about what these 133 times that the Jesus had a rough day with the Jewish leaders, what they have to do with us as individuals. I want them to provide us with a timely warning about the state and the direction of our own spiritual lives. It's very easy to develop a fortress mentality within ourselves, to see the shocking state of things out there in the world and to shrink back into our spiritual shell a little bit more to keep us safe from the world out there. This story is about the way we see the world and we see other people. How our heart reacts to the people we encounter. People we read about, see on TV and social media. To watch the news and say to each other, what's the world coming to? We read about gang conflict and murders and assaults, home invasions, wild parties that get out of control. Motels filled up with the homeless and dropping the tone of the neighbourhood. And inside we shrink back a little and we're glad we've got a lot of nice Christian friends and a quiet neighbourhood to live in and a great church to come to on Sunday and, and meet one another in worship. And sometimes we make sure we're busy doing things that keep us at a bit of a distance from the people out there. And we make sure our theology is correct. There's so many churches today seem to be going way liberal and things are happening there that shouldn't happen. Do you get what I'm saying? 
because sometimes the younger brother is out there and our neighbours out there and our sisters are out there. Those whom Christ told us to love as ourselves and they're drifting around on their own and they're lost in a fog of mistakes and circumstances and bitterness and hurt and rebellion and pain. Sometimes the love in our lives shrinks down to the chosen few. Our view of God the Father is framed to fit what we understand. And the true joy of being a Christian can so easily evaporate. It's the way we think about people. Look at them out there. How come they're doing something like that? How can they get away with it? Look at them out there. How do they cope with that? Look at them out there, all the sin, the evil, the crime. There should be a whole lot more laws about it. I'm glad that National and the others are in and soon we'll have a lot more laws. Oh, look at them out there. My heart breaks for them and the things that they're going through. That's what it's about. It's easier to let the barriers go up around our hearts. Safety barriers to keep us protected from a world out of control. And inside our protected little hearts, we can read our Bibles and pray and meet other people like us whose hearts are probably the same and make sure our beliefs are right because there's no way this liberal nonsense is going to touch us. Now, all those things are good. But it's so hard, isn't it, to open our hearts to let others in, to welcome them, to love them, to care about the state they're in, body and mind and spirit. It's hard to follow Jesus amongst the ordinary people. Sheep without a shepherd, he called them. People hungry and sinful and sick and outcasts. Now this doesn't mean that next week I'm expecting you to go and knock on the gate of a headhunter's compound and say, excuse me, but I come here to give you Jesus. So what do we do in the coming week? When we go out to the doors today, we're going out amongst the younger brothers and sisters and neighbours. Those have taken the life that God has given them and have drifted, drifted, drifted away. We're going to meet some of them this week. They mightn't be a long way away. They might just be next door. They might be next to us on the bus, studying on the next decks for exams. Maybe someone next to us at work. Some we meet just casually, checkout operator, bus driver, the client, the visiting sports team. And we have that choice to act like the older brother, scared of, well, we might get tainted, made dirty by having any contact with them. Or like the father, arms out to welcome. That's the choice. View them with love and compassion, hearts and spirits open to showing Jesus or shrinking back into our own little fortress. Glad we're not like that person. It's there in our attitude and our heart and our spirit Welcoming them for the sake of the good news of Jesus. Or just shutting the door in their face 
emotionally and putting up the drawbridge and closing the place off. We can come home and say, you wouldn't believe the idiot I met out there today. Or I can't understand how people live like that. Or come home instead and say, I wonder how I can possibly make a difference for the kingdom of God out there amongst those who seem to have lost him and lost their way. Because there was a time when God celebrated. The Father welcomed us, welcomed us back, and threw a party for us. And there was joy, and he called us son or daughter, welcomed us back. So we need to change the pronouns we use sometimes. My brother or sister or neighbour, not your kids, God, you'll have to look after them. Our Father, who loves all of us instead of a distant and demanding God, who loads on us a whole lot of rules. We will rejoice with all who find the love of the Father instead of wondering how the Father could possibly love someone like that. The older brother didn't love his brother. He didn't understand his loving, forgiving, rejoicing Father. And he knew nothing of joy. Choices. I go with the love of the father, but not the older brother. Can we pray a prayer together? Join in praying together as it comes up on the screen. Lord, this week, teach me more about the love of the father. Help me to see people more like Jesus did. Open my heart to those around me and those I meet as I remember the goodness of the Father who welcomed me. May there be joy in heaven and in my own spirit as I live this week for you, Lord. Empower me to do this by your Holy Spirit in me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. For more information on Ottawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ottawabaptist.com.